Good morning. Welcome to Olivet Community Church. We're so glad that you joined us. This morning, please hear our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 96, 1 through 4. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised. This morning we're going to sing a new song to the Lord, for he is good. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I am held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will see. Of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will see. The goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. Running out, running out. 
are good and what an honor it is to be called your children. We surrender this morning. We let go of anything that is hindering this time of worship with you. And we pray, Father, that the music that we make, that the words that we sing, the words that are spoken would be a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. That they would bring you joy. Father, we love you. We love you. And we thank you for this morning to be able to worship you. Be in awe of your presence. Let us worship him now, shall we? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Kristen, I'm on staff here at Olivet Community Church. We are so thankful that you are here to worship with us today. And I did learn my lesson from last week. This week I brought my glasses so I can actually read what the announcements are. So thank you for being here for worship this morning. Welcome. And if you'd like, uh, you can register your presence through texting at 812-457-9509. Just let us know you're here. Please let us know of any prayer requests. We do have some mighty prayer warriors in our congregation that would love to be able to pray for you. I do have uh, some wonderful news to announce. Amelia uh, Fowler used to be Eaton that worshipped here. She just had her baby this morning, baby Jensen. And uh, I'm going to get this wrong. Seven pounds, one ounce, I think that's right, 21 inches long. So we are just so excited for her and John as they welcome baby Jensen into the world. So if you get on Facebook today, maybe send her a little congratulations. Awesome. I see a hand in the back. Boy, boy, boy Jensen, sorry. <laughs> Good question. Awesome. Okay, glasses back on. The Potter's Wheel has been changed. For those of you who serve at Potter's Wheel, we are going to be serving in September and not August. So don't show up the first Saturday in August because it's not our Saturday. Um, if you'd like, you can talk to Carol Fair. Kim Johnson is not here, but Carol is somewhere here if you'd like to become a part of that. Um, also, our annual congregational meeting is going to be on Sunday, tentatively on Sunday, August 2nd, right after the worship service in the gym. We will mask, we will uh, social distance, but that's the, the day that we're going to go over the budget for the next year. So if you can be there, that's great. Um, if you can't, um, that's fine too. We can uh, get you maybe recorded, I'm not sure. Okay, this month we are raising awareness for our foster care community. Um, the children that are first currently in our foster care. There are many local nonprofits here in our community. Uh, Isaiah 117 uh, says this. Let me find it. Okay. 
to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, to bring justice to the fatherless. And that is what these organizations are doing. They are bringing resources and support and justice to children without voices. And so um, we want to support them any way we can. So this month, the most you can do is pray. Pray for the children. Pray for the foster families. Pray for the parents who had the children removed. Pray for the social care workers. Um, Last week, we talked about Isaiah 117. And I know tomorrow is their ribbon cutting for the Isaiah 117 house. And they're, they're going to do it virtually this, uh, this time just because with everything going on. So if you'd like to see that, they have a Facebook page, Isaiah 117 House, Vanderburg County. Make sure you put that in because there are a few of them now. And if you'd like to see that, it's pretty awesome. We, we were just a year ago, believe it or not, praying for God's will to be done and that to happen. And in less than a year, it did. God is good. This week, we're raising awareness for a Borrowed Hearts organization. They're also another organization that supports foster families by giving them resources like hygiene items, socks, clothing, uh, high chair, I mean, anything, toys, anything you can think of that a family might need. And believe it or not, we were even able to donate to them some of our preschool items that didn't, weren't able to make the move over here. They were happy. They were so actually ecstatic to receive some of those. But this month, we're going to collect socks. For the kids, and it can be any size socks. Um, foster children come in all shapes and sizes. So any size socks, you see the sale at Target, just buy them all. And then bring them here, or I'll come pick them up for me. We have a box right outside next to the elevator, right next to the Shine Your Light banner that our awesome children made last year, um, a bin that you can put those socks in. Okay, like I said, the most important thing we can do is pray. Pastor Dave, as you'll see again, is not here this Sunday, but he is driving back, back from Tennessee in the cabin with his family, and he was so appreciative to have that time with his family. In his place this week, Ross Chapman will be bringing the word to us. Ross is the founder uh, and president of Four Evansville, which works to bring churches and community leaders together uh, for a common good, and our common good is to make the gospel known, the gospel known, to bring justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And so we are excited that you are here today to bring us God's word. So thank you for that. Speaking of God's word, let's go ahead and go to Psalm 100, shall we? Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Let us serve the Lord with gladness. Let us come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the sh- his people and the sheep of his pasture. So let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Let us give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Yes, he is. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. So this morning we come into his presence with singing. For he is here. He is here. We worship him. We praise his holy name. 
worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship, I worship you. you.
let's pray. Father, you are the way maker. You are the miracle worker and the promise keeper. And we know and recognize in our world today, many people don't feel you working. They don't see you working. And it's hard for even us to imagine what you are doing in such disruptive moments. But we have faith in you. We know that you are good. We know that you are making a way. We know that you will bring your purposes to bear on this world and that you will pursue transformation, that you will pursue what you intended since the beginning. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would receive these reflective moments, these moments to worship you, that you would be uh, honored by them and that they would shape us as we move out into our normal places of life in the following week. Uh, So we thank you, Lord, for who you are, for Jesus, for making a way. In your name we pray. Our memory verse comes from Luke 19, which uh, Ross will be preaching from shortly, 1 to 10, and it's not up there probably, or maybe it is, but I think we can memorize it right now. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You try that with me? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Let's worship him. You did not wait for me to draw near to you, but you clothed yourself with frail humanity. Did not wait for me to cry out to you, but you let me hear your voice calling me. I'm forever grateful to you, and I'm forever grateful for the Oh 
Well, uh, good morning. I'm actually really glad I don't have to wear this so you can see my face. Um, I just want to say thanks. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a welcome back for me. Uh, many of you maybe have been around when I was here before. It was actually Palm Sunday 2018. And uh, what is really interesting is I was preaching from Luke 19. Uh, so just a few verses later is what we explored there when Jesus enters Jerusalem and uh, now we're going to be looking at Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it to you in its entirety. Uh, we're going to go through it verse by verse today, uh, so you'll get it kind of as the story unfolds. Uh, but since that day I was here, I have some news I wanted to share with you. Uh, my family has grown from two boys to three boys. And so now Candace and I are the very, very proud parents of William, Pierce, and Beckett. They're six, four, and two. And as you can imagine, our home is full of peace and quiet and and no chaos whatsoever during quarantine and shutdown. It is just like a retreat. Uh, it is a, it's been an amazing season of life for us. So, uh, but we are really excited about uh, our family and living downtown and what God is doing in our city. And uh, I want to tell you just a little bit about For Evansville. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that I help lead. And our goal is basically co- uh, cultivating collaboration between the church and the city. We want to be an ambassador for the church to the city and create opportunities for relational trust and kind of coming together to pursue uh, what it is that we believe God would say, we want Evansville to be like this. And where we find commonalities with people who are of faith or not of faith, that's where we work together. And so it's been a really exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, Just so I um, am totally caught up to speed, I just wanted to share uh, that I'm super excited about the Unimaginable series. I know you've been exploring this idea of Freedom, unimaginable purpose, plan, uh, promise, uh, I think grief even. And today we're looking at unimaginable transformation. But I want us to just pause this morning and just think about that word, unimaginable. When people today think about Christianity, do they think about the word unimaginable? Unimaginably good. Unimaginably extreme unimaginably out of touch, unimaginably bad. What is it that our world currently thinks? And do we live in such a way that our words and our actions, uh, that those in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our fitness centers, our schools, could actually comprehend the incomprehensibility and the unspeakable joy of the unbelievably good news? Do we live and speak in that way? We can do it because Christ lives in us, and we must do it for the hope of the world for the transformation of the world. So I'm not exactly sure where this series has taken you in your own personal journey or as a church family, but today we're going to be encouraged to live unimaginably transformed lives because of the unimaginable transforming power of the gospel. Justin Bass wrote an article that caught my eye for the Gospel Coalition recently, uh, and he noted in that article um, something that Blaise Pascal said, He's the French mathematician from the 1600s. Uh, He would have challenged Christians in his day to make good men and women wish Christianity were true and then prove that it is true. So thinking of that this morning, what we will see is that good men and women will see the unimaginability of Jesus Christ and his good news when you and I live radically transformed lives. We're the proof. We're the living evidence of whether Christianity is good and true. And I have to ask you, has there ever been a more important time or more crucial time for the world to truly know that Christianity is good, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are true and good? 
We do live in an unprecedented time. Some of you may have seen an article that's been circulating on the internet that compares 2020 to three specific years in our nation's history. Uh, In 1974, we had an impeachment process. In 1968, we had radical racial injustice and protesting and riots. And we had, in 1918, the pandemic, the Spanish flu. Well, in 2020, in just the first half of the year, we had all three of those. We've had an impeachment of a president, protests against racial injustice and riots, and a pandemic. And we also have an election coming up in November. We've never experienced this kind of disruption. Not in our generations, not in the generations that currently make up the world. Just think, businesses, schools, churches, things that never close, had to stop, had to change everything that they do. We're working from home, or some of us aren't working at all. If you're watching the news, take a break. Weeks can start to feel like years. And we rely on technology to connect us even more than we did before, yet we still feel isolated and are isolated from one another. We wonder when, how, and if we will get through this. We are in need of unimaginable transformation. So while the world longs for the hope of transformation by way of a vaccine the election result, or the overthrow of unjust systems, it struggles or even sometimes refuses to see the true light of Jesus Christ as the only hope for transformation. And his transformation is truly unimaginable, going beyond what humanity can envision, exchanging our small dreams for his ultimate aim, the transformation and reconciliation of all things. But when we get a taste of what that life in the heavenly city the New Jerusalem, what I like to call Shalom City, when we get a taste of what life is like in that city, we recognize it as what we have always longed for, what we are actually made for. And humanity around us will recognize it as well. The bottom line is that they can see that transformation through our transformed lives. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's look at Luke 10, or sorry, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Go ahead and turn there in your, on your phone or whatever you have. If you brought your own Bible, that'd be great. Uh, we're not going to throw the verses up on the screen this morning, so follow along with me however you'd like to. So Luke 19, 1 through 10, actually gives us that foretaste, that sign or vision. You know the story. This is the story of Zacchaeus. We could all probably sing the song, right? The wee little man. I'm not going to make us sing it. <laughs> but my hope today is to help you see the whole story. It's the transformation of a whole person. It's spiritual, it's vocational, it's social, and it's economic. So let's look. Luke 19, 1. He, which is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now let's pause. Do you recall why Jesus was passing through Jericho? The last time I was with you, Palm Sunday 2018, we're, we're looking at Jesus is going to Jerusalem because he's, he's going there to do his ultimate mission. Right, and Jericho is kind of like the last stop on the way. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he knew he would face oppression and death. But first, he rides in on a donkey and he's proclaimed as the king with the palm branches waving, with lots of expectation from the crowd, right? But a strange thing happened in that moment. Do you remember? He starts to weep over the city. See, he was on his way to the city of Shalom. Jerusalem means city of Shalom, city of peace. But Jerusalem had not lived up to that name, to that point. 
Rather than being a beacon and an example of shalom and peace, Jesus lamented and was grieved by the horror of evil's scandalous wreckage of shalom. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be destroyed just a few decades later. You see, they had rejected his way of peace, is what N.T. Wright would say. But at the same time, he not only looks at the present and the past, he looks at the future and he looks forward. It would be the place, the city, where Shalom would be won back, where all that was lost in the fall in the garden would be made new in a heavenly city coming down, the new Jerusalem, Shalom City. So he's on his way to the city of Shalom, where he would, wa- he would make one final worldwide call to repentance through his death and resurrection. And in that moment is where we find this story. Jesus found a man who was looking for him. He found an example of the repentance and the kingdom that he'd been preaching since he launched his ministry in Luke 4. It just happened to be that it was a rich man who would end up embodying an unimaginable transformation the kind of transformation he would make possible for all just a few days later in the city next door for you and for me and for everyone. So let's continue on, verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now you know if the Bible points out specific details about people, they were probably a really big deal. So Zacchaeus, here's how I imagine him. It's, it's some S words. He's scrappy, thick-skinned, shrewd, and sketchy. Okay, this is, this is Zacchaeus. He chose this profession of being a tax collector, and he probably could choose how much he wanted to make. He worked not for the Jewish people as a Jew, but he worked for the Romans, who was the occupying uh, empire, right? So he was an enemy of the people of Israel, kind of like the worst kind. He was a traitor. He was also looked over and marginalized, and we need to point out that he was the oppressor and the victimizer, but at the same time, he was an outcast. He was condemned and written off and scorned. Sketchy Z, is what we'll call him for now, was the chief tax collector in Jericho. He was at the top of the organization. One commentator puts it this way. Zacchaeus' position would have allowed him to make false accusations that could lead even to people being imprisoned. People would have to cooperate with him, even if, if it was reluctantly. He could hire those who collected taxes and set the collection policies. These factors would have made him wealthy, even if he had behaved ethically. So he's a wealthy man. He's rich. Uh, but he's not gotten it in the best way, right? And in fact, Luke has not... Uh, up to this point, portrayed uh, rich people in his gospel in a positive light. If you think back to the parable of the rich fool, uh, just a few chapters before, it's the, it's the parable where the man stores up all of his treasure in a bigger and bigger barn every night. He goes to sleep and goes, i got to store up all this wealth. And he misses the point that his wealth is not just for him, but for the good of others. And then there's the rich young ruler, which is in the, the chapter right before the story with Zacchaeus. And the problem there was that the rich young ruler could only see what he had to lose. He missed what he had to gain. So what we will soon see is that Sketchy Z wanted to see Jesus, but Jesus wanted to see him even more. So let's continue on, verses 3 through 5. And he was seeking, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Well, Jesus was already known at the time as a friend to tax collectors. Luke 15, 1 states that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And at that moment in Luke 15 is when the Pharisees and the leaders started kind of grumbling about that. You know, why is Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus told them uh, three very famous parables that you'll remember. We had the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the point of all of those is that Jesus goes after that which is lost, those who are lost, no matter who they are or what they've done. So Luke actually portrays tax collectors in a favorable light throughout his gospel. Consider two other examples. Luke 5, 27 through 32 goes like this. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi, also known as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus had already invited a tax collector to be one of his 12 disciples. And then he went to a huge party with a whole bunch of other tax collectors to celebrate it. And in the chapter just before this encounter with short, sketchy Z, Jesus contrasted tax collectors and Pharisees through a parable. Turn one page over in Luke 18, 10 through 13. He says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Jesus actually sought out short, sketchy Z. Jesus accepts him. He even goes further than that. He, he says, I want to stay at your house. It's this idea of table fellowship. Staying at a person's house like this, this was a really big deal. This was not a casual event. It represented friendship, intimacy, and fellowship. And if you think about staying at someone's house, it reminds me of dwelling together. And that reminds me of John 1.14, where Jesus put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So says Eugene Peterson in The Message. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he's inviting, he's inviting himself over to Zacchaeus' house to do that very thing. And that is the reason that Jesus says that he must stay. Commentators call this a divine necessity. It shows what his mission is all about. So this is an honor, no doubt, for Zacchaeus. Short, sketchy Z. But it's also a missional imperative for Jesus marketing all the way back to Luke 4, 18 through 19, where Jesus says what his mission is all about. But to the crowd, it was a scandal, as we'll see. But before we get to the crowd's response, let's consider how the church's approach can mirror Jesus' approach to Zacchaeus, which is what I'll continue to call him from here on out instead of short, sketchy Z, because that's what Jesus now calls him. So the church, what are we supposed to do to imitate this approach? This means we go to the written off the marginalized, the hated, the despised, the ones no one expects or wants us to notice. And, and if you think about it, isn't that exactly what Christians who came before us did in times of cultural crisis and pandemics? People like Zacchaeus are all around us. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in our workplaces. 
They're in our schools, and they may live in specific areas of our city. Uh, Austin Maxheimer from Community One says it like this. The church ought to love the neighbor where they are and also love the neighbor where we're all called. Well, the church can't do that by avoiding the outcasts and the written off. In this case, Zacchaeus is not the one being oppressed or victimized. He's the oppressor and the victimizer, making it all the more scandalous for Jesus to approach him. Yet Jesus does reach out to him. So let's make sure we're not accused of practicing what Mark Green calls leisure time Christianity, which is the idea that Christianity is practiced on Sunday morning and on Tuesday night in my small group and on Saturday when I do a service project. No, he says the work of ministry actually happens in all of our life, in every area that God has placed us in our city. We must be in the world but not of it, as it is said, right? What does that mean? I think a way to think about it is faithful presence within. We must not retreat. That's escapism. We must not accommodate either. That's accepting cultural values over gospel values, over biblical values. We must seek to transform through our faithful presence within the places where we have been positioned. So we don't know how people will respond to that, right? But we can still imitate Jesus' approach. Well, let's, let's see how Zacchaeus responds. So verse 6. So he hurried down and received him joyfully. Well, of course he did. Zacchaeus didn't waste any time thinking about his response. No one ever invited him over to their house, and no one ever thought to ask to stay at his house. Never. Jesus' initiative was irresistible to Zacchaeus, a man despised in his community but welcomed by the famous teacher, healer, and friend to tax collectors. Zacchaeus responds with joy, welcoming Jesus in. Verse 7, and when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Clearly, this was a social no-no for Jesus, and doubly so potentially for someone of Jesus' stature in the community. But remember, people always had their own agendas for Jesus, and we might reflect on our own agendas for Jesus. Just here's a few from the previous chapter in chapter 18. Keep the children from him, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Keep the beggar from him. Chapter 18, verses 39 through 40. Tell me that I'm good enough with what I'm doing right now to get into the kingdom of God. The rich young ruler. Chapter 18, verses 18 through 25. Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. And people are expecting him to be king. Possibly overthrow the Roman occupiers. Why would he take time right now to spend a night with the traitor? That's not on the agenda. And remember the parable that Jesus told just before these agendas? The Pharisee was glad he wasn't like the tax collector, listed right along with robbers and adulterers and evildoers. Max Lucado in Next Door Savior says this about tax collectors. If you combine the greed of an embezzling executive with the presumption of a hokey television evangelist, throw in the audacity of an ambulance-chasing lawyer and the cowardice of a drive-by sniper, stir in a pinch of a pimp's morality and finish it off with the drug peddler's code of ethics, what do you have? A first-century tax collector. That's pretty bad. The crowd was not happy about it. And to be honest, I don't know that I would have been happy about it. If you'd been victimized by Zacchaeus, how would you feel? The word grumbling is the same word that's used of Israel in the wilderness. Self-centered, lacked faith in God's plan, didn't like the way that God was executing his plan. Jesus' choice was not a popular one. 
One commentator says it like this. The enthusiastic Christ followers in that moment were in the way, and they unknowingly opposed Jesus' mission in that moment. They wanted to define the mission for themselves. They wanted to decide who was in and who was out. But then suddenly, Zacchaeus quieted all of those thoughts and ours as well with his next statement. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What is Zacchaeus doing here first? He's acknowledging his wrong. He recognizes now that he's been doing it the wrong way. He's been practicing evil and all the things the community thinks about him. So second, he kind of commits, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live differently. He's going to do two things. He's going to give away half of all of his possessions to the poor, those who've been outcast, marginalized, and overlooked. And he had something, he knew something about what that felt like. And then he's going to go above and beyond the requirement that's actually set out in the law for restitution, which is laid out in Leviticus 5 and Numbers 5. He actually does what was required of thieves. It's fourfold, Exodus 22 and 2 Samuel 12. It's important to note here, though, that Zacchaeus does not change his ways in order to receive forgiveness. This isn't about earning Jesus' forgiveness and relationship. He does them in response to Jesus' invitation. He does it in response to Jesus' willingness to fellowship and have intimacy with him. Well, the disciples, remember, uh, were perplexed when the previous wealthy man, the rich young ruler, couldn't enter the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus says it's like... uh, it's, going, it's a camel going through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that's, that's a literal image. It's not some made-up place or something like that. He says in 1827 that it's impossible without God for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus' love of Zacchaeus resulted in Zacchaeus' love of Jesus and love of his neighbors. This was truly an unimaginable personal transformation that the crowd witnessed on the spot. The theology of work commentary puts it like this. Like all tax collectors in Roman client states, Zacchaeus made his money from overcharging people on their taxes. Although this is what we might now call industry standard practice, it depended on deceit, intimidation, and corruption. Once Zacchaeus comes into the kingdom of God, he can no longer work this way. As a citizen of God's kingdom, he cannot engage in business practices contrary to God's ways. This rich man, another commentator says, touched by Jesus and responding with faith, exemplifies the restoration of a lost one and opens up his resources to be shared with others. He doesn't have to sell everything to receive Jesus' commendation. His heart is in the right place when it comes to his possessions. So Zacchaeus becomes an exemplary rich person. If there was any doubt... Zacchaeus meant what he said. His pocketbook spoke volumes. And what does Jesus say in response to Zacchaeus' declaration? Verses 9 and 10. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He proclaims that this is what the salvation that he offers looks like. This is what that salvation is. Luke actually reserves the term salvation in his gospel for this moment. The last time that he used it is in chapter 1. And all of those uses are in Zechariah's prophecy. We must note 
the undeniable significance of that choice of word. In that prophecy, it is specifically associated with forgiveness of sins, but the whole prophecy speaks to the concern of the salvation of the whole world through Jesus, the whole cosmos. The prophecy actually ends, Luke 179, like this. It says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That definitely describes Zacchaeus. And to guide our feet into the way of peace. So to, to give light, that there's hope, there's an invitation extended, but there's also a change to guide our feet into the way of peace. Shalom, peace. Jesus' way, his way of peace, leads us right into his ultimate mission. The city that Jesus would enter next rejected his way of peace, but a new city is coming, and Zacchaeus is an example of the unimaginably transformed life that guides others into Jesus' way of peace. That's why Jesus says to Zacchaeus and all the crowd standing there, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is what it looks like. This is my mission. This is a transformed life. It's a rescue mission. And the first part of that rescue mission is a call to respond in faith to Jesus' invitation to be one with him, to be in union with him, to have a reconciled relationship with God through him. And Zacchaeus, his response is also an acceptance of his mission, of Jesus' mission. Zacchaeus recognizes that these, these things go together. He recognizes it immediately. His repentance leads him to give instead of take, to empathize instead of ignore, to stand tall in Christ rather than to shrink in shame, to free instead of oppress, to radical generosity rather than extreme theft. When he does this, he not only experiences personal shalom in his own life, but he brings shalom to his whole community. Think about this. There's economic shalom now because of Zacchaeus' transformation. Wealth is redistributed back to families, and even more so than they had, and to those in need. And Zacchaeus freely gives this. It is not forced upon him by some system, right? There's relational shalom. No longer will Zacchaeus be short, sketchy Z in his community. He'll be supersized shalom Z. And we'll have new friendships and new relationships with all of those that he's caring for through his person and vocation. And there's vocational shalom. I believe Zacchaeus found a way to love Jesus and to love his neighbor through his work, even as corrupt as that system was. Proverbs 11.10 says that the, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Zacchaeus had become a righteous person. And his wealth created a rejoicing in the city of Jericho. The Zacchaeus story is about the unimaginable transformation of a lost person to a saved person. That's the story we all knew before coming in here this morning. But now we can see that it is much more than that. Zacchaeus' eternal address was changed, but everything about him in his current life changed too. With huge ramifications for all of those he was in relationship with. Jesus is not just after a new, restored, personal relationship with Zacchaeus. Oh, he definitely is about that. But the salvation that Jesus is after is bigger and broader. It's a reconciliation of every aspect of Zacchaeus' life, 
in order for there to be more and increased amount of shalom in the city of Jericho. You see, the story of Zacchaeus is a story of a transformation of a person, a profession, a people, and a place. Jericho, because of little Z's big transformation, looked a little bit more like that new Jerusalem that Jesus was envisioning for the city he would be entering soon. So what's our Jericho? Our Jericho is Evansville. And Jesus is on the same mission. But now he's defeated death and evil once and for all. And because of our individual, unimaginable transformation, our city can experience and see that same love, the same justice, the same shalom that God had always intended, a truly unimaginable transformation. I want to share just quickly one story uh, from my life that happened over the last year. Uh, My wife and I bought a house across the street from our current house because it was decaying. And no one had lived in it. It had been vacant for 18 months. And we were concerned who was going to buy it and do what to it. So we decided, let's, let's figure out a way. And I have to say, uh, a lot of things fell in place for that to be able to happen uh, that I think that God was in the middle of. Uh, but what I want to say is that this, this house had everything possibly wrong you could imagine on an inspection report. It had everything. Mold, asbestos. I mean, every system needed to be totally replaced. It was just like it needed everything. It, it was just dead. So how do we bring life to it? The question is, did we want to restore just one aspect of the house or the whole house? And the question we could say is, how much do you think Jesus want, how much of Zacchaeus did Jesus want to restore? Was it just his eternal address or was it more? And how much of our city does Jesus want to restore? Is it just converting to Christianity, or is there a bigger picture? Well, we finally completed that house this past week, and we got a new family living in it, and it is like a brand new house on the inside and an old house from 1908 on the outside. And it is really cool to see life in this thing that was dead, but it required a restoration of the whole thing. So here's our charge. Let's build Evansville together in all of our vocations, at home, at work, church, and in society, and let's build it to look like Shalom City. Let's make our city imagine, imagine that Shalom City by the way they see us living transformed whole lives. And let's find as many little Zs as we can in the places where we are and invite them and accept them and see what God does in their lives and how that impacts our city. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at the way that you would be willing to to reach out to people that we would never think about reaching out, as much as we want to say we would, and maybe we would, with you living in us. But no part of us really wants to do that without you. And so, Lord, we're just just so grateful and humbled uh, that we can even see ourselves as Zacchaeus at times and you reaching out to us. We can see ourselves as the crowd grumbling against who you're choosing to work through and, and how you're going about your plan for Shalom. And we want to live more and more like you in doing that. So, Lord, that's our prayer. Help us to live like you in this story, how you reached out to Zacchaeus and how his transformed life started to ripple through the community, making it more and more like what you intended from the beginning, having life to the full for everyone. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus and his once and for all 
sacrifice so that we can live life this way. In your name we pray. Amen. times I fail, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm God in your grace. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all Thank you.
I just want to say, what an awesome like song choices. Just was so great with the transformation of Zacchaeus that, that Jesus would draw close to him and seek him out and save the lost, and that Zacchaeus' transformation from the inside out uh, led to justice in his relationships. And that's what we're about. So I, I just want to leave you um, just with the, the, the blessing from Numbers. You know, let these words you know, soak in. This is how we want you to go out and to live a transformed life, not just here when we gather together, but when we're scattered and when we're deployed in our specific places in our city. So the Lord bless you and protect you, especially in this season. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. He is your hope. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace so that you may give peace. Amen. In my heart and my soul, I give you control. Have a seat Consume me from the inside.